This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. episode of the Lakers Fast Break podcast. It's Joe Sorrell coming right back at you from the Lakers Fast Break. Gerald Glassford is at Disneyland. Yes, he's at Disneyland with a mask on, by the way. Um, I don't know why, and I guess I'll have to explain that to you when he gets back or maybe pops in on the show. Um, I know he doesn't want me to do this, but I have to because it just I just enjoy it too much. Pop Culture Cosmos! Inside Sports Fantasy Football and Game Source, we would truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great shows. If you can, give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. Plus, if you can like, like, subscribe, follow, or whatever you can to support us right here at the Lakers Fast Break. Shout out to my good friends at LakersBall.com, where I reside, lurking, trolling, messaging, and yelling. The number one blogger. Unfortunately, he's not here because the Lakers lost. But if you do like listening to Laker Tom or getting some of his, you know, after game speculations and predictions, go ahead and go to Twitter at Laker Tom to see Laker Tom's latest uh, prognostications with us here tonight, as well as Stone Hansen with Upside Swing for top Draft coverage, follow Stone Hansen and the gang at Twitter or on Twitter, I should say, at Upswing, or I should say, at Upswing, uh, Upside Swing. Sean Grice, the madman from Toronto, is here tonight as well. Not in traffic, obviously, but he's obviously here to bring some havoc. Jamie Sweet, got to give out a shout out to Jamie Sweet. Yami Sweet, if you got the sweet tooth, Jamie is, is your candy when he's here. Um, yeah, well, guys, we. The Lakers lost tonight, 112-108. I was expecting possibly a one and one record this weekend, but I wanted to get greedy. Uh, it started out so well. D'Angelo Russell started on fire. I think he was pretty much 100% for the first, what, quarter and a half. Scored 33 points and had eight assists tonight. Uh Anthony Davis wasn't really involved in the offense that much tonight. Scored 17, but had 16 rebounds. And he played decent defense throughout the, the game. But I, 
just just could not get it done at the free throw line. And I felt like that the momentum of those four free throws kind of might have cost the Lakers a little bit more momentum to get over whatever hump they had. The bench played real well. You had uh, Austin Reeves scored 13, uh, Dennis Schroeder scored 14, and Rui Hachimura scored 12. But too many um, too many duds, man. We're talking about the, the, the Knicks, who didn't really play too well against the Clippers, but Julius Randle looked like a freaking all-star tonight. And uh, Barrett kind of, when, when Randle didn't play well in the second half, Barrett started playing really well in the second half and kind of made up for that. So the, the Lakers go down 112, 108. Um, Stone, I'm going to pass this on to you. We were discussing this during playback. We, I think, are finally getting to the point where we might be having a, a permanent issue with Darvin Ham and his rotations as well as not really having any kind of offensive identity that can carry you once things kind of hit a wall. Yeah. Uh, it's there, There's no like sense of offensive scheming or uh, sort of drawn up plays or anything. A lot of it seems like it's just go out there and figure it out sort of offense, which is the Nate, Nate McMillan special. And we saw how far that got the Hawks before they – Sign Quinn Snyder. Um, it's just not really a viable route to go offensively, um, especially uh, when you have um, second units that are just don't have much ball handling, and, and we really struggle to create space with the second unit uh, and create open looks um, consistently. And uh, when you have don't have any sort of play scheme or, or uh, plays or sets that are put in place uh, that you're practicing and using in game over and over again. It it's just um, a really stagnant way to uh, way to stagnate your offense. There's a lot of issues with um, guys that sort of just stand around and watch as a pick and roll happens. You have two guys involved in a pick and roll and three players that just stand there and do nothing off ball. Um, and there's not a huge sense of offensive camaraderie and movement. Um, and I think that that really shows when you are consistently subbing out D'Lo and Anthony Davis at the same time. Uh, I talked about it during playback, but I think you really need to stagger those two when you have nobody on the bench that can really create offense to the level that they can. Um, you, you have to be able to have someone in a, any sort of lineup that you can be like, okay, I need you to create something because nobody else in that lineup can. So when you're stubbing them both out simultaneously um, at the same time, every time over and over again, uh, you're just going to go through scoring droughts. And we saw that um, to end the first quarter and into the second quarter where it was our whole bench unit and we couldn't really create a whole lot um, because both Dilo and AD were sitting. Uh, and then you saw it again um, in the third quarter when he played both AD and Dilo for a long period in that third quarter because uh, he didn't trust that second unit to come out and, and create any sort of offense um, because he refuses to stagnate them. So Ham has a lot of issues, and I think that they really sort of reared their ugly head tonight. Yes, and uh, between you and Sean, you guys had reiterated that Jared Vanderbilt not being in towards that the last half of the fourth quarter up until I think what was a minute left. We We needed some stops, and that's why you traded for Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, maybe Darvin Ham was thinking we needed someone who could score and shoot, 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 
and obviously Jared struggles in that that part of the part of his game. But I think uh, I share the same sentiment with you guys in terms of we want we needed stops during that time, and we had enough scores on there. But uh, I I don't I don't want to I don't want to look at this game and and go into the same setup where we're blaming people all the time uh, after a loss. Uh, but Sean, can we can we can we really not say that there was a structural problem with how the game was coached and how the rotations went? I mean, we're watching the game. We've watched we watched all 48 minutes and we're 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 still questioning during the game, like, well, why are you doing this and why are you doing that? And is it is it one of those things where of course, when it doesn't work, you're a buffoon, and when it does work, you're great. So, kind of make this clear and let everyone know: is are we being hard on Darvin Ham? Are we blaming somebody again when after a loss, or is this legitimately an issue, like Stone said? Oh well, yeah, no, Joe. I I think it's a little from column A and a little from column B, but I think more so it's just it uh, like if so the confirmation bias is that. Ham struggles with rotations and game management. If you're going to use this game as an example, it would be it would be a perfect example of why that's true. It wouldn't be an outlier. I think the Raptors game is more an outlier than than this one. Uh yeah, like look, there there's no uh there's no team in Jersey anymore, but uh I, I got to I got to use a phrase that uh, Jersey uses his rotations have been straight cabbage, Joe. They've been straight cabbage, like pretty much for for all year. Uh, even more so since the Russ trade, because he he now has a a group of players that he knows what roles they they have. He understands what they can do and what they can't do. And you've got Vando sitting his ass on the bench for like five and a half minutes and. Like I could, I Stone doesn't have any veins in his forehead, but if he did, one would like be starting to pop. Uh, I was getting frustrated at at that. I mean, this is exactly what you got. And even if let's just say, even if you had the coaching philosophy tonight that for whatever reason you didn't like Vando on Randall, well, okay, well you can slide AD onto Randall and at least put Vando on RJ Barrett because nobody in our backcourt could stop him from getting into the pain and getting what he wanted. So for me, it's, it's, it's a case of column A and column B, Joe. But again, I think Ham's, whatever it is, whether it's, whether it's a lack of attention to detail, whether it's just personal preference or whether it's just trying to juggle too many balls at once, but he's dropping the ball when it comes to the rotations again, Joe. Again, uh, Lakers fall to the Knicks. The Knicks' uh, exact revenge from their loss at Madison Square Garden. Lose to the Knicks 112-108. The, you know, Scarlet and Blue said something uh, just now on our chat that, that kind of connects with what I'm saying. This was simply overall. I'm not saying what you guys are saying isn't correct because I believe a lot of it, it, it was that. But it just seemed like, the Knicks were a, a, a basket ahead 
all all game long. Even when it mm-hmm. kind of seesawed to where the Lakers got the the lead a little bit, um, it just seemed like the Knicks were playing a little bit above their heads. And you guys heard me over playback. I'm, I'm in a lot of ways, I'm a lot different on playback than I am on here because I have to kind of uh, calm down. Which that's funny for for some people to think while while, while we're on here because I've I've been pretty vocal on some, certain things throughout the year, but they're they're. The Knicks just seemed like they had an extra step. They were making an extra basket more than the Lakers. And in the end, the Lakers just couldn't catch up to it. Um, I don't, I don't, I only really hate this loss because it's at home. I don't like losing these games at home, especially after you had a day off and you come off such a great win against Toronto. And again, you had D'Angelo Russell just on fire at the beginning and you couldn't take advantage of it. And that's kind of the, the just the, the bummer on that. Um, but what I, I think the Lakers need to do is they need to regroup here and get ready for a back-to-back here Tuesday and Wednesday. You're playing the Pelicans, which could be the, well, it'll be the tiebreaker. If the Lakers win this game, they'll own the tiebreaker, which will give them at least two games ahead of the Pelicans should they tie at the end of the, at the end of the uh, season. And then you got Houston on Wednesday. So these are two absolute have-to wins. I mean have-to wins. You cannot lose. You can't lose to the Pelicans because of the situation we're in with them specifically. And then you can't lose to Houston. You lose to Houston, you might as well just pack your bags and go home. So, Stone, what's, what's in store on Tuesday? Can the Lakers just put this in the back of their heads and say, you know what? They just they just had an extra step on us tonight, but we're going to come back and essentially stamp the AD trade on Tuesday as a hundred percent, even though it already is. But really stamp it because now <laughs> the Pelicans are at risk here in the next two weeks, or I should say three weeks, of not being able to do jack squat in, in, in what you're really good at, which is the NBA draft. So what do you what do you what do you think happens Tuesday and how how does it play out? Sorry, um, super uh, Tuesday is super. Man, you can help it. <laughs> I know. Um, talking to myself on on mute. Uh, it's super important on multiple levels, like the pick you mentioned. Um, I think that uh, obviously we don't want that swap to go through. Um, so on on that level, it's important. Also, just the fact that the Pelicans are like contenders for us right now. They're nipping at our heels um, to be in this sort of, or I think we're tied now with them after tonight's loss um, for these playing games. And you want to create separation between your rivals Um, when they're that close. uh, You want to make sure that you're putting yourself ahead um, in these standings and in the final um, games for the, the seating. So it's an, it is definitely a must win. Uh, And the Rockets is a must win for just the simple reason that, they're a really bad basketball team and you can't afford to lose games against really bad basketball teams. Uh, I'm not trying to throw shade at the Rockets. They have a lot of nice young talent, um, but I think everyone that watches them this year uh, can tell you that they're, they're pretty much bottom of the barrel for, for this year. Um, I think that the, it's going to be hard to continue um, to put yourself in positions to win games when three of your, um, starting five members go five of 23 from the field um, and just really struggle for to combine for 15 points. Um, 
that's it's going to be tough when three of your starters are doing that. Uh, Beasley is really out there to be a shooter. That's that's basically his positive right now as an NBA player. And if he's not shooting, the shots are not falling down. Him and Troy Brown had tons of open looks and and did not capitalize on them. Uh, look to Austin Reeves. Austin Reeves has been playing really well. Um, definitely a better ball handle, even though he's not the best yet. Um, and definitely a better secondary uh, passer and, and connective passer. So um, Troy Brown has been passing really well. Troy Brown has been defending really well. So it's a little bit more excusable when the shots aren't falling for him because he does other things on the court. Um, but when Malik Beasley, is his shot's not falling, there's not much else he's doing. Uh, and I would look to, to Austin Reeves. Uh, going up against the Pelicans, obviously they have um, a lot of shooting um trey murphy went off for 41 points today on like nine threes um cj mccollum can always get hot brandon ingram can always get hot um and they have a defense uh herb jones is an excellent defender obviously they're super long with trey murphy and brandon ingram uh it's going to be hard for our guards to penetrate i think but uh i mean and you also have Jonas valanciunas at the five there's a lot of size on that court outside of cj so the Lakers are going to have to really sort of learn lessons that they did against the Raptors. Obviously the Pelicans aren't the level of defenders the Raptors are, but they do have a lot of length. And I think that there's things you could pick up from that game from doing a lot of film watching that you can apply to the Pelicans game. Lakers go down 112-108 against the New York Knicks. Uh, we have a Knicks fan that's been talking smack here, so I'm going to... Uh, no, no, no. No, no, it's all right. Hey, hey, you know, you know, the last time the Knicks won a title was 1973. And before then, the last time they had an MVP was Willis Reed. And that was 1970. Well, it's been it, 52 years. It, it, since might, they be, had... it might be pent, pent up aggression and sadness. And, uh, you know, we, no one wants, look, look, Sean, no one wants to hear that the last time, well, let's say since 1973. The, the Knicks have won one title since 73, and the Lakers have won 11. I mean, yes. that's, a, that's a pretty big uh, that's a pretty big gap. I mean, you, you'd have to win. Uh, you'd have to resurrect Bill Russell and the, the other eight Hall of Famers from the 60s of the Celtics and put them in uh, LeBron's body to, 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 to kind of come back at that. So the – but, hey, I like, I like the banter. I, I, I like talking smack. Uh, it just—it's sad that when you do talk smack to Laker folks, you really don't have a lot of room unless you're sort of a Celtic fan. Uh, but then again, you know we're talking about recent history here, not 80 years ago. So with that, the Lakers, I think, are going to have to figure out if they are going to be a guard offense or running the offense through Anthony Davis. What I am thinking at this point is, and this is kind of showing what the ineptitude of, of, of Darvin Ham is, did he get uh, AD scoring eight points and still winning happy? Or did he not go into this game thinking, you know what, let's surprise him with something where we're just feeding AD close to the basket? Because the only, the only offensive play I saw all game where AD was just, yep, it's going to AD, was that alley-oop towards the end of the game. Why didn't he run more of those plays? You have 
D'Angelo Russell now. This isn't Russell Westbrook. D'Angelo can hit the mid-range. He can hit the three. Yes, his point guard skills, like Stone said during playback, might not be as quick as, let's say, a Steve Nash or a Jason Kidd type kind of point guard. But I'd like to think that the length that that Anthony Davis has can give you a little bit of room to where you can do a coherent pick and roll and get AD at least three or four of those, you know, put back alley-oops at, at the very least. So, you so, know what, so- Joe? Yeah, I, it, it felt it felt like it felt like a couple of things were happening. It felt like it felt like there wasn't really a conscious game plan to get him involved early. And it also felt like that <clears throat> Davis himself, as Stone uh, kind of was uh, astutely pointing out during the broadcast, I think uh, at times AD was baiting Mitchell Robinson into foul trouble and trying to get him into isolations where he could take advantage of that, and it just wasn't happening. And it it seemed like it, it was frustrating him a little bit because Julius Randle's, of his 33 points, I believe he had 23 in the first half. So he really cooled off in the second half. Uh, but Anthony Davis didn't heat up. He didn't heat up, and we needed him to heat up in the second half because D'Lo was doing everything possible to keep us in the game. He started out 9 of 10 from the field, including 4 of 5 from 3. So he was doing everything possible to try and keep us in the game, and we needed AD to close it out in the fourth. And uh, I don't think he tapped out or anything, but I, I think it was just a combination of the, the Knicks, it's not easy to get points as a center or power forward off the Knicks. They they do a really good job of, of being as physical as possible and trying to get you out of your rhythm. So uh, as much as this was an AD thing, I also think you got to credit Tibbs and the Knicks uh, coaching staff for putting their players in positions where they just made it uncomfortable for them. That's very true. I, I I do agree that, and I'm 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 going towards the fact that this was a game that the Knicks won more so than the Lakers lost, which isn't usually the the issue, especially when you have the Laker goggles on. But I'm trying. We're trying to be fair here, and uh, all at all angles. But there is a deficiency on this team, and it's it's been that way the whole year, and we've attributed to possibly a first-year type situation with Darvin Ham, um, not being able to run an offense. Obviously, these guys haven't been playing together that long. Uh, Malik Beasley is struggling this last few games, not being able to kind of get into any kind of rhythm. And that's another uh, that's another thing I wanted to throw your way, Stone, is, okay, let's, let's forget AD for a second here. AD is a superstar. AD is a future Hall of Famer in his prime. You know, guys like that can find a way to be relevant. But guys like Malik Beasley, this is where the coaching becomes really important. When you see a guy that has his talent, that that needs a certain setup for him to be utilized correctly and can help the team tremendously, what can Darvin Ham do? What kind of offensive setup can he do to keep Malik engaged and in rhythm and helping this team be deadly from all angles of that of that offense. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're on mute, uh, Storm. <laughs> I do this on my own podcast a lot too. I got to get better at this. Um, yeah, the the issue I think with Malik starting um, is that, or I guess sort of the dynamic you have to to figure out is that he needs someone that can create for him. Malik Beasley cannot create cannot create his own shot. Who's the best playmaker on this team? It's it's uh, D'Angelo Russell. So you have to sort of play them together with LeBron out, um, which means, I guess, you do sort of have to start Malik Beasley in that sort of situation. Um, but, you know, because uh, he's not going to get sort of the same looks that Delio is creating for him. Uh, I think running pick and rolls would actually help Malik Beasley quite a bit, not as the person running them, but um, if, if D'Angelo is running it with Anthony Davis, then, um, you know, maybe they respect D'Angelo more as a, a uh, shot maker or a shooter right now, and you can get some help defense sort of shading your way. And D'Angelo is a good enough passer out of the pick and roll to wings to make that work and and, and get Malik more involved. Um, he showed it on early tonight. I think they did it like twice with with both uh, Beasley and Troy Brown, uh, where D'Angelo's making incredible passes out of the pick and roll. So doing more of that, I think, can certainly help. I also think that um, if you're doing like dribble handoffs uh, where you have – uh, sort of give and goes um, between him and Malik that uh, that can work. There's there's things you could do. Um, part of coach's job is to make sure that uh, your stars aren't the only ones that are carrying this team. You know, you don't want it to be that AD and, and D'Angelo are carrying this team night in, night out all by themselves. You want them to have help. You want them to have somebody they can rely upon um, when, you know, if, if their shot's not going down, they need help. Um, and I think that, uh, Malik can certainly be that when his shot is on, but you have to figure out ways to get him involved. Uh, the other thing is, um, like we talked about with the Raptors when they're struggling to create space, especially the bench, um, who's, who's really struggled to create sort of any space. And if you want to play Malik more with the bench, uh, running like more horn sets where you have two bigs that, uh, set double picks and they drag back down and hopefully they can um, bring another defender from the wing with them, especially if it's like Anthony Davis. Um, and then you have Malik open up, hypothetically open for a three. Uh, there's different things in, in different plays and, and sets you can run to, to get him more involved. Um, but yeah, there's uh, the coach has to figure out ways to get him involved. Jared Vanderbilt obviously has a much more limited offensive skill set without the shooting, but he is someone that can handle the ball a little bit, someone that can pass very well. Uh, and there's ways to t- use that to your advantage that uh, Everham doesn't seem to be able to put all together, put all the pieces together uh, and make them fit. Um, but yeah, there's there's certainly ways to make Malik work, but it takes a little bit more creativity and I'm not sure Ham has really shown that he has that up until this point. Yeah, it's a great point, and that's that's something we're, they're going to have to assess here at the end of the season if the season should end kind of the way the Lakers season has gone. Um, 
Sean, we're going to be playing the New Orleans Pelicans on Tuesday. I, I know tonight is about the Knicks. I know we lost, but do you see that? Do you see this team thinking about this game Tuesday, or do you see them putting this behind them? Because I feel like we have some criticism towards the coaching, but I felt like this was one of those games that just the other team just did a little bit more to win instead of, again, the Lakers losing. But what I don't want to happen is I don't want them to go into this next game feeling like, oh, we could have won and, you know, kind of down on themselves. Are they going to be able to switch back to, all right, next two games, let's win this, and we're kind of getting – we'll get back on track. And the schedule really gets pretty easy after this. And can they make a run where they're going to score – where they, they could go maybe four or five games in a row? Yeah, no, it's it's interesting, Joe. So 33 and 35, 68 games so far. So you got 14 left. Do you think they could go 10 and 4? You know, that's a great question. I absolutely they yeah, can go I 10 and too. 4. Absolutely. Uh the only issue I have is when is LeBron coming? When does LeBron feel like he needs to come back? for a run when it's obvious that they're going to get at least into a play-in. Right now, I'm, I'm thinking about how different this game would have been had LeBron played in it. You know, the last two losses, uh, the Knicks and Minnesota, if we have LeBron in those games, we're on a pretty large winning streak here. So this is not really the full team. And you're talking about LeBron James. LeBron James when he's on, is a top five player in the NBA, right? Yeah, so, I I think, you know what? Over the past 12, they've gone eight and four. So And they've gone eight and four since they've done the deal. So if we're looking at that, that's a positive. They're playing, you know, almost 700 basketball since they made those moves. So you're not going to win every game. To me, Joe, I would. I hope they have the uh, the philosophy that they put this one. They put this one six feet under. It's in the record book. Take it as an L and you move on. Because I think that's the that's the only way they're they're going to continue to build momentum. Just forgetting about what's happened in the past. Uh, so four teams now are tied at 33-35. The Lakers, Pelicans, Thunder. And Jazz all have 33 and 35 records. And that Golden State game yesterday really bothered me. My God. I was like, I've never been a bigger Bucks fan than I was last night. Oh, my God. (laughs) I was at my kids' dance competition and and I'm following on my phone in in the lobby. And I'm going, don't let Steph shoot. Don't let Steph shoot. And then Sean messages me, Steph made a three point. I was watching it on the uh, ESPN GameCast because for some reason I couldn't get a signal in there to watch the game on ABC. So I'm sitting there. I'm going, just as long as you, you don't let that guy shoot, we'll be. They probably should win the game. Freaking hit guy hits the three pointer, and right away, as soon as I saw that, after they score that first basket, uh, and then I think five straight points after that, my Golden State said it's over. Then I got to come back. They couldn't score, but anyways, the, the Lakers. Uh, can no longer really think about what's around them anymore. They got to just focus on this next 14 games. And, man, I I don't 
I, I, I would really hope that they can go 10 and four. 10 and four would be a good way to end the season. Hopefully with LeBron playing maybe two or three of the last games and going in with a maybe a two or three game winning streak with him on the team. Uh, and that's kind of how I'm looking at that. Um, in the meantime, I, I, I think we're going to have to figure out uh, if, if, if we can set up an offense here that can be a little bit more flexible uh, depending on who they're playing. I think that's one thing that I have noticed that's just not been fixed this year, even with the infusion of talent that we had, is we can't adapt game in and game out to different styles of basketball. And that's something I want to start seeing an improvement in before we hit the playoffs, because obviously you're going to get a hell of a lot of that during the playoffs, and you're going to have to do it in four, five, six, and seven game series. I I, I got to admit, guys, I I can't even like my brain doesn't register the playoffs yet. Are you guys feeling that at all? Like yeah. I'm not even like like the fact that we I, when I said 14 games left this season, it's not registering that at the end of this will be another, you know, there'll be more games because I just, I've been so out of it all year that I just kind of assumed that we're, we're not going to be there. So I don't know if that's something the players are feeling as well. I know I am, but I don't know. What do you think stone? What, how do you feel about this stretch run here? Uh, I'm always, I, I'm, I like big picture strategy. Let's, I like strategy a lot. So I'm always looking ahead to the playoffs and, and seeing, you know, what seating might be. Um, it's also super important now to keep tabs also on what the teams tied with us are doing. Um, those games are just important as important as Laker games right now because you want to see who they're playing and, and how they're matching up and everything like that. Um, I think the Lakers can go 10-4. and four. I think that they're – they're probably taking it one game at a time, uh, just like sort of we are uh, uh, with post-game coverage, just one game at a time, trucking along, um, game planning for each game. Um, they play, I mean, they're finishing out with a lot of conference rivals right now, so they're playing a lot of teams a couple times. Um, there's there's a lot of bad teams that are tough if that makes sense that are, are still competitive they just don't have many wins uh, and there's a lot of winning teams right now that are, are sort of on slides uh, and then free fall so it makes it difficult to try and predict what they're going to do game to game uh, and how they might might play um, LeBron again has a week and a half until reevaluation. that's just reevaluation. that's not saying he'll come back but he probably won't come back in a week and a half um, but it'll give us a time frame hopefully from there on whether it'll be another two or three games or another six or seven games. Um, hopefully the, the earlier of that. Um, but yeah, there's, <clears throat> there's a lot of winnable games in there for the Lakers. And I think the Lakers can win a lot of these games. It's a matter of uh, coaching, but also just execution from the players and, and how well they can do things on their own because it doesn't seem like there's much of a game plan generally on, on offense. Um, tonight we saw Ham try and get a little creative defensively with his own defense. Not sure I had seen that happen at all. Um, it, it worked okay with who the Knicks were running out. It was, it was mostly their bench unit. So it worked okay. I'd be interested to see how that looks with LeBron in it. Um, if we're looking like that, those final two or three games will be in the play-in. Uh, I would 
definitely be a little experimental to try and see some things on, on how it might work uh, in the plane. And, and once you get to the playoffs, um, that's one way I think you can sort of uh, look ahead while still looking uh, at the now is what works now. What can we, what can we uh, learn from these games that we can apply into the playoffs and into the play and, uh, and use what works um, as you continue on the season and hopefully into the postseason. The Lakers fall 112-108 to the New York Knicks. I don't know where that New York Knicks fan went, but I hope he wasn't uh, insulted. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, we're, we're a reality show. Is that safe to say, guys, we're a reality show? Yes, right? we talk in now, reality. Now, now, you might be thinking when I say a reality show, you're thinking maybe the real world or the mad, mad, mad world, like in the Chappelle show. No, guys. Remember, context is key in a conversation. Context. We are a reality show. That means we tell you the reality of what's going on. Okay? The reality right now is the Lakers can't seem to adapt quick enough in some of these games that they're losing, right? And a lot of that has to do with the fact that the team isn't acclimated enough with the new talent, and maybe a guy that's not there isn't playing, whatever, whatever. Bottom line is we are looking at a three-week window here. Um, after this week, we are going to play almost identically, I think, this next after the, what was it, the week of the 19th and the 26th. So the Lakers have plenty of gaps in the schedule, right? So after they play Dallas Friday, they're going to go Sunday, Wednesday, Friday. The following week, Sunday, Wednesday, Friday. So the schedule allows the team to rest and focus on, on that game without any back-to-backs in those two weeks. This is going to play a key factor in the mental focus of this team. You don't have any excuses those two weeks to not play well because there is no back-to-back, and some of those games have two-day gaps. Uh, Zangerstein uh, just uh, noted just a few minutes ago that AD is taking accountability for the loss of this game. And to some degree, you know, him being the leader, you can say that. But at the same time, he isn't the coach. He's creating space as much as he can. He's down on the block. If he's not getting the ball, then either your guy isn't good enough to get him the ball or your offensive scheme isn't working or you're not adapting to whatever Tibbs was doing and guarding AD. I don't know if you guys noticed. I'm sure you guys did. I'm kind of speaking, uh, you know, and in, 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 uh, I don't even know what the word is, but um, the – everybody's taking a page out of uh, uh, Toronto's book. Now, this is how they're going to start guarding AD. The, 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 your turn in the chessboard there, Darvin, how are you going to create opportunities for AD now? Because the NBA is a copycat league, just like any other professional league. Once they find out you can stop a player like AD, who was dropping 30 and 22 to eight points or to 17 points, how are you going to adjust to that on fr- on on Tuesday? Wednesday, I don't really count. It's Houston. They can't really play ball, and they're tanking anyways. But how are you going to adjust then on Friday when you play Dallas? That's what we want to see. That's what I want to see now in the next couple of weeks. Darvin Ham's going to have to start learning how to coach. 
What do you think, guys? You think Sean, you think he's going to learn how to coach the next couple of weeks? Uh, Joe, we can always hold out hope, right? It's a new hope, the Star Wars. It's a new hope. We can always hold out hope. Well, there's two uh, things, hope. Well, hope and apologies. Our, our esteemed producer, Gerald Glassford, Mr. Disneyland with a mask. He loves to apologize. Sometimes he'll just he'll be he'll be like, "Hey, uh, Joe, uh, I'm sorry, but would you like to uh, you know talk to me?" I'm like, "What are you apologizing for? Just tell me you want to talk to me." <laughs> but anyways, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, you know I think that that's kind of the 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 truth here. Like, really, I mean, you know, like you want your coach to have a tool belt on where he can adjust to certain situations, certain teams, certain uh, scenarios. But it seems like he's only got a hammer, WD-40, and and duct tape. Like he – that's – it seems like he's very, he's very set stubbornly on his preferential treatment of Dennis Schroeder, no matter how bad he's playing. And he wasn't playing very well in the uh, – in the last half of the first quarter and a, a bit of the second, um, he'll leave Vando on the bench in, inexplicably. Like that, that word about sums up his coaching uh, management style right now. It's inexplicable. His rotations are confusing at best, at the best of times. Um, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead and finish, Sean. I didn't. Yeah, no, no. It's just like, you know, you brought Vando over here for a reason. Like I was saying earlier, like if if you don't want him on Randall, you don't think that's a good matchup because and Randall's just uh, feasting on him. Then try him on RJ Barrett because nobody else seemed to be willing to just stand in front of Barrett and make sure he didn't have a clear path to the rim. It just felt like. All all R.J. Barrett had to do was turn turn the corner on that wing, and as soon as he went left, he had an open shot. Go left, open shot. Go left, open. I've noticed that as well, Joe. We saw that with Memphis uh, a few days ago. They were all going left. I don't I don't know what's going on, but there's definitely there's definitely some scouting report that says go left on the Lakers in the paint because it's it, it's it's been a common theme. And we've we've also seen um, – I don't know why – like you saw the difference tonight, right? So when the Lakers shot a wide-open three and they missed it, there were at least three guys for the Knicks back. They're not – Tibbs is not willing to sacrifice easy transition opportunities just because you missed an open shot. He's not willing to do it. I'm not sure why Ham doesn't have the same philosophy – but we can't even with Russ gone, Joe. We still have that problem where guys are not sprinting back when a shot is missed. They're either jogging or talk smack to the ref, and then they're interested in what's going on in the on the floor. Well, I, I that's like saying why can't Darvin Ham be Phil Jackson on offense, right? Uh, you know, Tom Thibodeau doesn't get enough credit for devising a defense that stopped during the second, uh, let's say, I, I, I don't want to call the Gasol-Kobe uh, run or, or era a, a dynasty because two t- championships isn't considered a dynasty to me. But 
In that 2008 finals, he devised a plan to stop what was the best offense of that three Mm -hmm. final appearance team, right? That team rolled through one of the most competitive Western Conference playoffs ever, if not the most competitive Western Conference ever. And not only that, Kobe Bryant took the heart out of San Antonio in the Western Conference finals in that one. And I, I had no – I Lakers were favored going into that series. They should have won that series. But Tom Thibodeau played a big part in stopping that team when it mattered. And they ended up winning. So to say, you know, Darvin Ham needs to put something together that's going to rival Tim Thibodeau. Tim Thibodeau is a little too late in this era. And the fact that he's coaching this well only goes to show you how good he is. Because he's a little too old school for this era, right? The fact that he's been able to last in New York is is quite amazing and i think a lot of it too is that new york still has that well i don't know i mean th- that's debatable i don't know if they're they still have the toughness they used to this but. is his dream job and you know what joe good on him because he's also adjusted with uh the pace of the game as well his guys don't play 43 44 minutes per game anymore where he's just he's just killing them he's just killing them and Very then true. they got to the playoffs and they just they would run out of gas because he just emptied the tank. So hats off to him. He's been willing to adjust. Let's uh, you know, and Ham needs to adjust now. I I, I and again that tonight, uh Stone, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you uh starting lineup question because we've had some of our our chat room uh patrons talk about maybe changing up the starting lineup. Uh, today, the the I'd say a little bit of the kind of what what I thought might have been a an issue, which is which was Troy Brown Jr. missing all those open shots from three. He makes a couple of those, and we might be seeing a different game here. So, are you thinking that maybe Darvin Ham should shake up the, the the starting lineup? Now, I'm getting suggestions of putting in Reeves. In the starting lineup, I am not a supporter of that because I think he does really well off the bench. And I've said this in previous podcasts. Austin Reeves is a six man of the year on a title team. And I think his best asset, at least right now, this season, is to come off the bench. But do you think that he would reinvigorate that offense? Do you think you'd want to run a three guard type? I mean, I know he... He's a forward, but he controls the ball like a guard. Would you want to start the game with him and Schroeder, let's say, or actually Schroeder would be coming off the bench. But let's just say if LeBron and and, and D'Angelo Russell are starting and then you have Austin Reeves, how does that dynamic work with the Lakers starting lineup? Uh, I think it, I mean, it changes quite a bit. I would, if, if LeBron's back, I would be starting LeBron for Troy Brown Jr. and keep, Malik Beasley in the starting lineup because, like I said, Malik thrives best when he has somebody creating shots for him. And if our two best shot creators and playmakers are in the lineup together and Malik's also there, uh, it opens up a lot more opportunity than what we're seeing for Malik currently. That being said, I think while LeBron is out, I don't think it would hurt at all to start Reeves over over Beasley at this point. Um, while LeBron is, is out with injury. Uh, I think Reeves offers more than Beasley does just all around. Um, he's probably not, he's, he's not the more, 
he's not as versatile a shooter as Beasley is. Um, but when Beasley's shots aren't going in, he's just not really contributing anything else on the court. Uh, I think that Austin Reeves is a better defender, uh, better ball handler, better passer. Um, not again the same level as shooter, but he's proven that he can be like a reliable floor spacer. So while LeBron is out and while Malik is really struggling, uh, I would be a proponent of starting Austin Reeves. But once LeBron gets back and healthy, I would probably continue to bring Reeves off the bench. Sean, do you have a starting lineup in mind here between now and let's say LeBron? Because I'm thinking it, when LeBron gets back, well, you know, you just stick with something that's working off the bench. The bench is playing well. Bench played well today, but I don't know. I, I'm I'm kind of at the point now where do you risk just kind of going status quo and wait for LeBron to get here and just kind of run that starting lineup that you want eventually? Or do you want to throw something in here to at least stem the the, the some of the issues that the Lakers have had uh, with, with some of their starters? Yeah, that, that's a really great question, Joe. Um, you know, personally, right now, I would start Austin Reeves. I would, I would, I would be much more comfortable if Dennis Schroeder, uh, Rui Hashimura, and uh, Bees were your three guys off the bench because I think those guys could actually feast off off of other teams' benches. Um, I I think it's a better it's a better fit with Reeves out there. I can't add anything more about Reeves's game than what Stone did, and I agree hundred percent. I just think I'm throwing somebody out there who's six five, who's versatile, who, yeah, you could say he's small in a three guard lineup, but I mean he can keep guys in front of him. He doesn't get beat a whole lot, uh, other than speedsters with just uh, you know God given speed. Uh, he's a capable defender. I actually think uh, we would be our offense would be a little bit more efficient. I don't think we we would be able to score that much, you know, if Reeves was in the starting lineup. I think you need to keep Vando in the starting lineup, and I don't think he should disappear at times when it's critical. The Lakers, the Lakers were up 85-84 at the end of the third. And for some and uh, mind-numbing reason, Ham decided he was going to sit Vando down. And he didn't get back up, I think, until the 356 mark. I'll have to get somebody to double-check that. But I think it was the 356 mark where I actually checked in again. And then he didn't check in again until the uh, the Knicks uh, had the uh, – in. Uh, inbound pass with about 56 seconds left. So I have, I have expected Darvin Ham to, to, to unfortunately to keep making some of these uh, newbie greeny rookie mistakes as a head coach. But I mean, at this point you should know, you should know who you're willing to throw out there. I mean, if LeBron's not ready, then what, what's, why wouldn't you try uh, Schroeder, Reeves, D'Lo, Vando, and AD, and see how that rolls. Rather, rather than tr- trying this mix and match stuff, I mean, that that far five guard lineup—that's five guard. That five man lineup there that we saw was uh, 
Reeves, Rui, AD, um, Vando, and I forget who the third guy was for the on the Raptors at the end of the game. Is it Schroeder? Yes. It was, yeah. I think you should roll with those, that that five at the end of games, and I think Reeves should should be a starter at this point. I don't think he'll be a starter, but he should be. Have you guys tried to figure out what the issue is with his three guard lineup? Why has he ever explained? Because I, I I stopped watching post game uh, Laker talk because I just I I I can't stand the 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 blandness of the show. Do, do did, has he ever re, has he ever explained the reasoning why he continues to play a three guard setup, especially when? In, 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 in spots where you don't need three and just need a couple guys that can control the ball and actually one of them can play defense too? I don't, I don't watch any post-game interviews because I don't really care what they say, but um, I it just doesn't make sense to run three-guard lineups um, when you don't have the – the defense that they need, like if we were running three guard lineups and one of those guards was someone like Deuce McBride that we saw tonight for the Knicks, who's constantly hounding at the point of attack. And then the other two guys are really awesome floor spacers and passers. Maybe it's a little bit more viable, but when you are playing three guys that um, are pretty often on point of attack defenders and, and generally more often on um, outside of maybe Austin. And then um <clears throat> three two of those three guys are just like not the greatest ball handlers it 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 really cramps what you can do and it cramps lineup versatility and it um doesn't create as much flexibility with um stagnating them as often so i don't know it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me um at all really is is phil handy or any of the assistant coaches so joe uh in in answer to your question uh, in late December, uh, Darvin Ham was asked about his small guard lineup, and this is as as best we could tell the best quote he's given to try and explain why he does it. Quote: "Just trying to get more possessions in the game. Any of those guys, and he refers to Reeves, Walker, Westbrook, Schroeder, Beverly, can get the defensive rebound and push." the place on the other end. It's just trying to play faster at the end of the day. Okay. Well, you just got your, you, you just gave us the answer. It's analytics. That sounds, that sounds like the basketball version of Dave Roberts uh, to a T. So it's not really him. He isn't coaching. He is going by some sheet because it does make sense now, right? Why are you running? Why do you want more possessions? For what reason? Especially when you, you know, Z made a great point. You had a, you had a, a moment there. We had Robinson, Randall, and Hartenstein in the game. Why, like, what were you trying to do? Trying to, you think you thought speed could 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 get through there? Is that what you were trying to do? But the, all I saw was a wall and Hartenstein getting every damn rebound off of every miss. So now, what are you going to do? You're going to have Schroeder rebound over Hartenstein or what? Like, what's the deal there? So you just. I I sort of knew the answer, but I knew if I was going to present the question, you were going to find it, Sean, because that's what you do. That's why you're great. That right there needs to now, Z, all this talking, all these questions, all these concerns, 
Darvin Ham isn't coaching this team. He's reading it off a damn book or a damn paper. And I don't know what's going on. I don't hear a lot of analytical type stuff in the NBA, not as much as I do, obviously, in baseball. But this is starting to make sense because it's not making sense on how he's adjusting these lineups during these games. No. Okay, I've seen bad coaching, but this this you've got the tools to do certain things now. You didn't have it before, but now you do, and you're still doing the same thing. So what's 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 the end result here, Stone? Are we gonna have to fire this guy? Now, when I say we, it's usually a mistake. Are the Lakers organization gonna fire this guy? The answer is no, because if he's reading it off a sheet then who's telling them to read it off a sheet? Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. He's getting that He's getting that from either the scouting department, he's getting it from management, or he's getting it from the analytics people. The issue is uh, we can blame him all day long, who deserves a lot of blame, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but uh, the Lakers also allowed him to pick out his coaching stuff. Uh, uh, the coach is the main head, but the coach also has an entire staff that's collaborating with him to come up with game plans and what to do. Uh, and when you allow the coach to make the decision on who that staff is going to be, um, you're going to, I mean, and he obviously has picked incorrectly. Uh, it leads to a lot of issues. Are they going to fire him? No. Should they? Yes. Should they have ever hired him to begin with? No. Um, there's a reason he was out there for as long as he was. Um, and the Lakers missed a golden opportunity with Quinn Snyder on the, on the market. Um, good coaches don't end up on the market a ton. Like the coaches are always the first line of defense for teams when they're struggling. They're always the first to get the boot, always the first to hit all the blame. Uh, they have to change something and usually it's harder to change a roster than a coaching staff. So coaches will get fired usually first. But it's not all that often that good coaches last very long on the open market. Um, Lakers had a chance, blew it. Uh, obviously, it's tough to change your coach and coaching staff midway through the season after the deadline, but um, I don't think they should have ever hired him in the first place. So uh, the blame is on Darvin Ham in games, lack of in game adjustment. The adjustments he does make are bad, but. In, uh, in reality, I mean, the Lakers are the ones that hired him and they care more about this Laker legacy thing than anything. Like, Darvin Ham was an assistant for us for a long time. Ultimately, I think that's that's what got him an interview for this job uh, because he's been with the organization before. And when you care that much about it, uh, about someone that has been a part of the organization in the past, you're missing out on a lot of really good talent that's in the present because they have not yet been a part of your organizations so the lakers have blinders on uh and they need to take them off well sean you're a nba connoisseur so you're gonna you know know a little bit about this so quinn snyder going to atlanta um this is trey's last stand if and i and i've i've heard that hiring quinn snyder is that hey look you've already gotten two coaches fired we Quinn Snyder is not going to get fired this time. This time I'm going to trade your ass if you don't get your act together. So I'm I'm looking at a future of a Troy. You know, Trey's not going to be in Atlanta long. I thought he'd be traded this year. 
Uh, but I think next year or maybe this summer, there might be a possibility of of that being 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 what it, what it is. And Quinn Snyder, uh, you know, if, if we're going to go off Laker legacy, I mean, he was an assistant coach uh, with, uh, I believe, um, wow, I just drew a blank. Coach of the he, second. He was an original assistant of Buds in yeah. in Atlanta. But but he was also coach with. Uh, why why am I drawing a blank? The coach of Sacramento Kings. Yeah, Mike Brown. Mike Brown. Mike Brown, right? So, I I heard. I don't know if this is true. I heard that I don't. Quinn didn't want the job in L.A. and it was it was cleared. I don't I don't know if you guys heard that, but the 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 the, the coaching decision hires have always kind of plagued the Lakers in between their championship runs. Uh, Frank Vogel was the anomaly in that he wasn't a great all-time great coach like Cutler and Riley and Jackson, but he is one of four coaches. I'm sorry, one of five coaches to win a title with with the Lakers. Uh, Bill Sharman being the fifth. So, so yeah, Vogel. Vogel was basically here's here's where Vogel is right. He he had all of Spolstra's ability as a defensive coach, but none of his creativity or imagination as an offensive coach. And he was okay with that because you have LeBron James, who is the Peyton Manning of the NBA, who as long as you run a LeBron offense, you've been able to win, right? So it made sense. But can you win a championship with a bad coach? No, you what, can't. Let's let's talk about that. Since we're talking about Darvin Ham, and we've talked at nauseum about his lack of ability to run an offense or adapt in-game decisions, what what like what's what's going to happen here? Like what what what's what's the future here? Are we are we going to be the one team where let's say if everybody stays healthy next year? We win with a bad coach. Who is who would you have considered a maybe not a bad coach, but a, a mediocre coach that's won a title in the last, let's say, forty years? Mm. Going back, you'd have to. I mean, it's yeah. near impossible. It probably has happened before, but um, it's it's the anomaly if it does. See, in the NBA, the, 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 up until two thousand nineteen. When it came to talent, I remember I did a statistic. Since 1979, you're going to love this, Sean. This is your, your kind of thing. 1979 till that 2019 season, which was uh, Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard was the 17th pick by Indiana, right? Yep. From 79, and I, I it might have been before too, but I picked that year. 79-80 season to 2018. Every championship team had a top five pick. All had a top three pick except for two, which was uh, the 08 um, Celtics. Garnett was the five. Like, I'm talking about a star, like a top three star on the team. You had to have at least one top three pick within that title team. The only team that didn't have it was um, 
the 08, the 08 Celtics. Yep. Because Ray Allen was the fifth pick, I believe. KG was the fifth pick, and Paul Pierce was the tenth pick. Everyone else from 79 to 2018, they had at least one guy on that team that was a top three pick. So the NBA, why why I think we're kind of getting weirded out here and why I'm going to kind of transition to this next thing with this analytical thing. So it makes sense now, guys. It's starting to make sense because I keep asking you guys on the show and I keep saying, why does every game feel like the same game? And look at the records. We have like six teams that have 34 and 35 losses. They're all reading from the same book. That's why they're doing this. And it doesn't matter if you've got AD, if you've got LeBron. It's almost like this thing now is is handicapped in an era of gambling, right? There's never been an era like this in, in, in terms of acceptance of gambling. And a lot of it is because everything's analytical, which is what gambling is. They analyze, hey, this team is going to score 110 points. This team is going to win by three and a half points. So now, are we going to watch a computer now for the rest of our lives? I hope not. With with, with a little bit of mystery? That's something I think we should start talking about here as the season ends and when we see the results. Because I think this plays a big part in it. And one 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 of the reasons why I loved the 2020 title team was I felt after that series, I know there was COVID and all that stuff, but it was the first time in in what was during the Golden State era, so let's say that that five-year window, where I felt like the Lakers had the three-point buster defense. They busted that new wave offense because you had a freak You had a freak back there, Anthony Davis, who was guarding eight people. He was guarding the people in the stands. He was guarding, backing up uh, Caruso's guy. He was backing up KCP's guy. I mean, I I still can't. I I go back to game six, that first half, and I'm talking, if, if there's ever any coaching that needs to be visualized, play the first half of that game. And, sh- and and highlight Anthony Davis. And you will see the mastery of defense that I have still, I don't think I've seen in my life. Maybe Hakeem Olajuwon. Maybe Hakeem Olajuwon is, in terms of what I've seen with my own eyes. I have never seen a human being guard that many people at once. I mean, I told you guys, I felt like it was Troy Palomalo playing. You know, that's how Troy used to play. So, well, you know, when uh, actually, Joe, when, we're, uh, when we watch the Rockets on uh, Wednesday night, You'll be seeing the Shingoon shake. He's actually, <laughs> he's actually, he actually does a really great uh, interpretation of uh, Akeem's move, and I'm pretty well, sure I, he's, he's going to try it on somebody. I, I, I gotta, I gotta admit, in the early, in the mid '90s, when the Lakers were kind of in that transitionary mode, uh, I really fell in love with Akeem Olajuwon's run, and whew, man, it, it, it was. It was mastery of a, of the game, and and I, I, 
I almost was a, a, a Houston Rocket fan during those two seasons. I actually got nervous <laughs> watching those guys play, and I remember sitting back going, "Man, uh, God, I, I what's going on here? Am I turning into a Rockets fan?" <laughs> but then, you know, I, of course, I slapped myself a few times, and I was fine. But yeah, it's it's been a it's been an it's it's just. I, I, when I go to work, I, I I tell people I'm not a manager, I'm not an owner, I'm not a boss, okay? And my guys are not just simply workers. We're problem solvers. So as we're on this Laker train that we're never going to get off of, I, I, even if I wanted to, I couldn't. <laughs> I want to solve these problems. I want to know what's going on. I want to explain. And there's so many great people out there on the chat that are just – given us the roots to, to, to make this bloom, uh, Stone, to where what are we going to be able to say and how to explain why these things are happening and obviously how they're going to get fixed. How they're going to get fixed, we don't have that control. But I'm, 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 I'm happy that we're at least identifying it and it's connecting with everyone that's listening to it. So with that, Stone, I, I, I know you've, I, I want to say that I, I'm extremely happy you've been here consistently over the last week or so, or I think it's been two weeks now, and I'm I'm, I'm really looking forward to you staying on because um, I think there's an element here that you are really keen on, which is the future. Drafts can be very, very, very fun topics, especially towards this time of year. Um, I know we've been talking a little bit about the, you know, some of the guys that you've been watching, uh, you know, lounge around in the G leagues and the, in the high schools and all that stuff. But what has anything come up since the last time we talked? Is this, is, is there anything we should know here that, that, that on what to expect before, uh, we call it a night? Uh, we, um, the upside swings, we did a, um, a selection Sunday, uh, as they were rolling in, um, we gave our sort of our live reactions today. That'll be out tomorrow. Uh, and just to sort of see like where um, everybody is at that that's going to be in the draft, um, where their teams are at and how the tournament affects their stock. We tomorrow will be recording an episode discussing every pro every possible prospect that will be in that tournament. We'll be going team by team for all 64 teams and discussing every player that has a chance to even get an exhibit 10 contract in the NBA. Um, and we'll be going really in depth on that and releasing that uh, sometime this week. Um, and yeah, we're just continuing our deep dives with um, all the players as we go more and more into this class. Uh, March madness is going to be um, a lot of fun uh, just to enjoy as a fan and, and not as an evaluator. Um, obviously you evaluate their stock, but it's fun just to watch basketball games sometimes and not just <laughs> watch it to, to see how players are, are doing for the draft, even though it's hard to turn that portion of my brain off sometimes. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of exciting stuff coming up and it's just going to be more and more content uh, and more and more thoughts and ideas on the draft as it gets closer and closer. So people pay more attention as it gets closer. Uh, and if you want to stay up to date, you can follow us at upside swings on Twitter you can follow me at report underscore court. Um, we'll be doing a lot of live streams on playback um, throughout March Madness and giving our thoughts and breakdowns um, on the game and the, the prospects in those games. So 
um, yeah, just follow us there if you want more draft talk. Uh, and thanks for having me on again tonight. Again, Stone, we love having you here. And I think it's it's become uh, coincidentally uh, a, 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 an asset because I think we're going to have our draft pick. I think we're going to have the draft pick. <laughs> I think so too. At least, right? We're at least going to keep it. Sean, what do you got going on in Toronto? Are you still shoveling? and skiing and drinking and moosing what the, what is it you do over there in in march we know what happens in december january but over here man we've been getting rain and cold weather like we're in canada you know i'm, I'm ready to do my ali ali g uh, impression over here you know i'm like <laughs> uh, you're speaking canada over here man what's going on how's things over there <laughs> well you know it was a it was another Friday, and normally now, whenever a Friday comes around, it's about 10 inches of snow as well. Uh, so I finished shoveling yesterday. Didn't take me uh, four and a half hours like it did the the previous week. I was done in about an hour. Uh, you know what, Joe? Uh, I'd like to do an NBA observation show tomorrow, so I'm not sure if you're going to be available or not, but... We will be available tomorrow because that's what we're here for, folks. So tomorrow, tentatively, we will have NBA observations probably somewhere in the evening time while you guys can come home, relax after work, and listen to the baddest Laker guys in the game talking sports, talking about the league, because we're not just here talking Lakers. We're here talking about the culture, man, the culture of the NBA, and the Lakers are the culture of the NBA, and it all kind of fits together here so we are going to have our next game on tuesday obviously we'll be back for that game after the game and of course those who want to watch the game for free and don't have cable or whatever <laughs> you can follow us on playback uh, it's playback i believe dot com front slash lakers fast break if you guys are having problems signing in uh shoot us an email or shoot us a message and we'll go ahead and uh, kind of instruct that way i know that kind of has been a problem with some of some of the people out there. I don't know if the the browsers have a certain thing with Firefox or Google or uh, or Chrome, but you know, hit us up. We want you guys there. We want you. There's a little bit more animation there, guys. I know I'm, we're, we're pretty animated here, but we're we've got to keep it at a PG level, even though sometimes it is a PG-13. We could throw in that one swear word. Uh, you know, for those of you who don't know what that means, if it's a PG-13 movie, you can actually say the F word once. That's it. Can't say more than that. That's the rules, right? Now, we don't say the F word, but we do once in a while use the A and the S somewhere, sometimes both S's. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyways, we love, thank you for having, th thank you for joining us tonight, Stone Hansen, uh, Sean Grice, Gerald, somewhere in, I think, the Matterhorn or wherever, Space Mountain. Uh, the Lakers. Fall 112 108, unfortunately, but we at least still had a good time tonight, uh, giving you guys a little bit of a show, and and hopefully we can uh, we can kind of get back on track here on Tuesday against New Orleans. Have a great night, everyone, and take care. And here is Gerald's finger at the end. <laughs>